Book of 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Uh, before we begin reading, I want to, uh, this week we're going to be printing out some uh, event calendars for the next few months of things that are happening here in the church. Uh, a bunch of events, fellowship events and things that are going on. But one thing I want to highlight tonight is, um, today is uh, beginning the last Monday of, of this month. I think it's the 24th. We call it uh, Marriage Mondays. And from here at the church from 7 to 8, we're going to play a, a, a biblical marriage video. Um, it's, uh, it's called Love and Respect, a biblical approach to marriage. Um, not saying you got marriage problems. I know we're all, you're all good. Uh, but uh, just a, a biblical view of, of marriage. And uh, it's, 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 it's lighthearted. It's good to uh, help you get an introspect of, of your spouse. I know we know our spouses. And uh, there's no problems there. But from 7 to 8 on Mondays, called Marriage Mondays, we're going to be getting that. And it's a, it's a couple weeks long. Uh, and so uh, it would be good if you want to come, uh, you and your spouse from 7 to 8, just to watch and, and do, be a part of that. It's something good. It's, it can only help you and help maybe shed some light on some issues and, and, and why you, we may have disagreements or things about the same old things. And really it's not the same thing. But uh, just one of the things that's coming up at the end of the month, um, Marriage Mondays from 7 to 8 here at the church, watching that. So called Love and Respect, uh, that among any, many other things that are coming. And so looking forward to that. First Kings, the 17th chapter, start reading verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. It shall, cut, it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went, and he did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land, because of the very words that Elijah said. So it finally reached him where he was at. And so I want to preach today from this title, Bearing the Brook, Bearing the Brook. Turn to a few people and greet them as you're seated today. This is the first time that Elijah is mentioned in Scripture. Many of us know about Elijah, and he's probably one of the top five characters in the Bible that people may, might be familiar with, just the life that he had and how God used him mightily in his lifetime. So this is the first time, this is his introduction into Scripture. The first time we see Elijah is 
the first words that we hear him speak, he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. Wow, talk about an introduction to this man. His first word, it's not going to rain, there's not going to be any dew until I say so. Not, there's not even a, a cordial comment or an introduction or, hey, what's your name? Hey, uh, my name's Elijah or, or how you doing? And, and he, this is what he says to Ahab. And, and we know that Elijah declared that day actually came to pass that there would be and there was no rain on the earth, or at least in Israel, for three and a half years. But why, why did he say that? Why those words? Why that? Why, why did Elijah declare that? Why would God use this man to declare a curse on the nation of Israel? It's because the nation of Israel was not following God. They weren't living righteous lives, and they removed and rejected the word of God from their hearts and sought after idols. Carnality and wickedness and unrighteous living were the paths that they now walked down. The choices that the nation made was not accidental, it was not coincidental, but it was purposeful. They chose to go that route. They chose to forsake the law of God. They chose to go and worship other idols. And, and it all could have been avoided because God had warned them time and time again. And to make sure that the nation would know and understand the consequences of its actions, God had Moses write it all down for them. So they could not be without excuse. The Mosaic law, the law given to Moses of how to live your life in accordance to God's will, his purpose, and his kingdom, and, and what to do and not to do. And if you scroll to the back of the law and take a minute and read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it is there where you will find what happens to a person, a people, or a nation? What happens to them if you obey the word of God or you disobey the word of God? He lays it all out. Pretty simple. And I don't have time to read it today, but it is not a short chapter. Fourteen verses cover all the blessings of obedience. 14 verses, and it takes 54 verses to cover all the curses for disobedience. 14 blessings, cursed blessing verses, 54 curses. And think about that for a second. Sure, we, we like the first part and, and only want to focus on the first 14 verses. Yeah, who doesn't? But if you really want to make sure you're going to follow the law of God, you need to make sure you read that second part as well. You need to make sure you read those 54 verses that talk about all the bad things that will happen to a person or a people or a nation if they do not follow the word of God. 
And Israel thought that they could just enjoy a blessed life by making it happen by themselves. And they sought after the favor of idols instead of seeking the favor of Almighty God. Said, well, we're going to make ourselves have a prosperous life. We're going to do it ourselves because we don't have the favor of God, so it's up to us. And so they found themselves in the second part, the, the 54 VOC, the 54 verses of curses. That's where they were living. Evidenced by Elijah's first recorded words that heaven is to be shut up and there will be no more rain. This was directed, this was spoken to the king of Israel, King Ahab, but it was directed toward the nation. The people of God, it was directed towards because of the actions that they've chosen. So what is so profound, and I I can't really even begin to grasp, is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. What what we see from Scripture is that no matter how much the people of God rejected Him, no matter how far that they roamed from Him, God never just let them go. He never just cut them off. He never said, well, you've made your choice and there's no coming back for you. No, the mercy of God always keeps the door open. The mercy of God always keeps a way for his people to return to him. And I'm thankful for the mercy of God in our life and my life today because God made a way for me to get back to him and he made a way for you to get back to him. The mercy of God, so hard to understand, but we're so grateful for. What does our mercy look like? When people say mean things about us or say things we don't agree with, what do we do? I'll show you, I'll unfriend you on Facebook. You made your choice. You hurt me. Now get out of my life. Blocked. That's my mercy. You're blocked. We laugh because we know it's true. If you haven't done it, Lord knows you thought about it. And you really wanted to. But but not with God. His, he is full of grace and mercy. And God says no matter how far you've gone, there is always a way back to the house of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, there is always forgiveness here. There is always a road for redemption. Even after commanding the curse, there is still a way back for the nation of Israel a still way back for the people of God and I'm thankful that he hasn't shut the doors on our lives and on this world because there is still a way back even after commanding the curse look at what 
God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 12, And the Lord appeared unto Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to be a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. It's amazing we see that play out. If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, verse 14, but if, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. And then I will heal their land. No matter the distance, no matter how far they were, all it takes is a turning to happen. All it takes is repentance and a healing can begin. A restoration is activated. And can I tell you today that you haven't gone too far for the hand of God in your life. That the backsliders haven't gone so far that the mercy of God cannot reach them. That this nation has not gone too far where repentance cannot bring them back to the grace of God. I believe that the only way to heal America is repentance. It's a turning from its wicked ways. It's a turning back to God and back to his word. And if his people, if the people of God will turn back, God will turn to them. That he'll open up the windows of heaven and heal their people, heal the nation. And, and I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. And I don't know the details of every, everything but I just know that the end result, that there is going to be a latter rain, an outpouring like we've never seen before, and that begins with a turning. That begins with repentance, and I believe that we are going to see that. That we're going to break forth and see the glory of God like never before this year. That we're going to see more baptisms this year than ever before. And, and if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, not in the titles, not in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They're not names, but the Bible says in the name, the Father, the Son, Holy Ghost, the only name is Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, that's a turning. That's a way you need to go today. I encourage you to take that step of faith and watch God begin to work in your life. If you haven't done that, that baptismal water is probably the warmest place in this room. There's no reason today not to get in there. All that turning begins with repentance. Why did God shut up the windows of heaven in Israel in those days? Why did he do that? He did it to get the nation's attention. You want to get the nation's attention, shut up, shut up the rain for three years. They'll, get, they'll be looking. Their ears will be turned and their eyes will be looking up to heaven. Like, why isn't there a cloud formed and why hasn't it rained in years? That'll get Israel's attention. And so, uh, yeah, sending them a blessing will get their attention, but it's not going to turn them to me. Sending them a $600 check will get their attention, but it ain't going to turn their heart to God. 
It ain't it's going to take more than that because blessings often uh, are the favor of God, but oftentimes they don't lead us to him. They lead us away because of our own selfish ambitions and desires. No, it took a man to declare no more rain to get their attention. It took three and a half years to get their attention, but he finally got it. You see, we want to see revival in southwest Florida, but what's it going to take? What will be the cost of the revival that we are claiming and that we are praying for and that we are wanting to see happen down here? What will be the cost and are we willing to pay that cost? Elijah planted the seeds of revival by declaring no more rain. Those were the seeds of revival, no more rain. And after declaring that, God told Elijah in verse 2 of 1 Kings 17, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he said, go to the brook called Sherith, and there you're going to drink of its waters, and I will have the birds bring you food. That doesn't sound like the place that the people of God should be living, right? I mean, we would pick uh, any other place but that. I mean, Elijah was... Really, one of the only ones that were living right, that was living right for God. And the whole nation, the whole nation was corrupt and, and, and wicked in its ways. And he was one of the only ones that were following after God. And yet he is told to go down and live and survive by a brook. It's the nation of Israel that weren't living right. And yet God tells Elijah to go to the brook Cherith and to stay there. Cut off from the world. Cut off from society, cut off from the grocery store and the market, cut off from Walmart and Target, and Amazon doesn't deliver out there by the brook Cherith. That's where you want, I need you to go. You've now got to get your water from that brook, and your food will come from the scavengers of the skies, the raven birds. But why? Why you got to go down there, Elijah? You're the righteous one. You're the one that's living. You, there should be a, a nice big palace for you, a house, a mansion with all kinds of food. I mean, you're the one that's living right for God. You deserve that blessing. And But no, God tells Elijah to go down to the brook where you're going to survive and be in survival mode. Why down there? Because the word cherith means cutting. The word cherith means cutting. And in order to see the miraculous, in order to see the massive turning of a nation and revival, Elijah, you've got to go down and you've got to bear the brook and you've got to be cut off from everything else and you've got to depend on God for your very survival. 
If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have anything to drink. And if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have anything to eat. That is where Elijah had to go. To see the supernatural, to reap the winds of revival, you first got to begin by going down and bearing the brook. Going down to the brook of Cherith, meaning cutting, and be completely sold out to God and be completely dependent upon God for everything. Is that where we are? Are we bearing the brook in our lives? Are we dependent upon God for our very survival? Or do we look to our pantry first and bear our blessings first? And when all of those things run out, then we turn to God? And hear me, I, I'm not saying that we sell all and we go camp on the banks of the Caloosahatchee. It's not what I'm saying. But bearing the brook means if I don't hear from God today, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I don't hear from God today, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I don't get into his presence today, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And in spite of all these things that I have in my life, I've got to know that deep down, I don't live by bread alone, but I've got to live by every word of God. I've got to live by the word of God. This is where I live. This is how I survive. Without fresh water, I'm going to thirst. Without the fresh feeding from the fowls of the air, then I'm going to starve. Yes, I know there's a Sunday buffet. But I don't know about you, but that's a long time between meals. The only time that I am fed from God is on Sunday. That's a long time before eating. Bearing the brook is accepting the call of revival and cutting off all other sources in my life so that I am totally dependent upon God. For everything, even down to the very water that I drink and the, down to the very bread and, and food that I eat. If I am not dependent upon God, I haven't reached the brook yet. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of God. No complaining, no dragging his feet. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and, uh, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had no been no rain in the land. And here's how to tell if you are bearing the brook. You'll feel the effects of the curse. You'll feel the pain and the suffering of sin, not because you have sinned, but it, 
but the, the, the sin has reached your doorstep from the people around you. That, that the pain and the suffering of sin will be felt in your soul. The curse of no rain for the wicked nation dried up the brook that Elijah was drinking from. And it actually finally reached him and he felt the effects of the sinful world around him. And how does that look for us today? We look around at the sin and the wickedness. And does it grieve your soul? Has the curse been felt in your soul by the people and their actions? Do we feel it? Do we feel the heartache of God? And that's how we'll know if we are bearing the brook and if we're totally dependent upon God. If, if we can walk through the city and walk through the stores and not notice a lost and dying world. And we aren't at the brook yet. There still needs to be a cutting off in our life that, that needs to take place. And, and maybe we've got too comfortable where we're at. And, and maybe we've got spiritually lazy and fallen asleep. But I'm here to give us a message that before Elijah ever went to Mount Carmel and saw the rain come, first he had to experience the cutting, the, the calling out, and the separation from the world. And, and to bear the brook and to learn to trust and depend upon God. We want to rush to Mount Carmel. But first, we got to go to the brook. Where we cut everything out of our life and say, God, if I don't hear from you, I'm not going to make it. God, if you don't feed me today, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. That's where Elijah began, down by the brook, totally dependent upon God for his very survival. And that's the path, that's the road that leads to revival and the rain outpouring on Mount Carmel. But it begins down by bearing the brook and dependent upon God. Again, are we willing to pay that price? After the brook dried up, notice that even the hard times caught up to Elijah, the man of God. The brook dried up. His water source was gone. But we don't see him panicking. We don't see him crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? We don't see that. Why? Because when you've been to the brook with God, and you've learned to be completely dependent upon Him, you know that no matter what is coming on in the world, no matter what happens, even when the droughts come and, and dry up everything in your life, you know that the righteous will never be forsaken. You know that his seed is not going to be begging for bread. Why? Because you've already been to the brook. You've bore the brook and you've witnessed the hand of God become your provider and you know that whatever happens, God is going to take care of you. God's going to make a way that his word is is going to sustain thee no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in this country. If you've been to the brook, you know that God's word will keep you. The righteous are not worried. The unrighteous who do not have faith in God, now they're worried. The righteous people should not be worried because we know our faith is in God. 
And he will never leave us or forsake us. And so, and until you get to the brook, you'll, worry, you'll, have, you'll experience a lot of worrying in your life. And a lot of doubt and a lot of anxiety and depression and, and unbelief. And all these things come to us. But if you've never been to the brook and never learned to depend upon God, what else do you have? Because there's a lot of drought out there. And it may get worse. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I, I cannot imagine living in this world today and not having faith in Jesus Christ. I can't imagine doing it. I don't know how they're doing it. but Well, secretly, I don't think many people are doing it, honestly. I think they're shaken to their core, and they don't know where to go. And I think God's using that to turn them to him. They're going to say, oh, I need a search to Jesus Christ. I'm going to try out the word of God. I'm going to start going back to church and, and turning my life. That's where the turning begins. That's where the turning of a nation begins and a heart begins by going back, saying, I got to get to the word of God. I got to hear what God says. I got to be fed by the word. I need him to lead me by the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Bearing the brook means God is in control in your life. And you don't, know, you don't have to worry about anything. Because God will sustain thee. And his word will keep thee. In verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a, a widow woman there to sustain me. And once the, the brook dried up for Elijah, God shows up again and he says, I'm going to keep feeding you, Elijah. That there is a widow in Zarephath that will sustain thee. But notice what is actually sustaining Elijah. It's not the ravens, it's not the woman, the widow, but it's the word of God. It's the word of God that's sustaining him. It's the word that commanded the ravens to go bring that man bread and food. It's the word of God that commanded the widow to feed Elijah. And so man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This is what's going to sustain you. This is what's going to feed you. This is what's going to give you a future. And this is what's going to give you a hope. We need to learn to trust in the word of God and that begins by the cutting away of the things of the world and say I gotta get into the word of God because that's the only hope for my soul see the brook Cherith is where the cutting takes place and after that process is complete where do you go next you go to Zarephath do you know what that means? you know what Zarephath means? Zarephath means refining. Zarephath means refining. The, the faith in God that got you and grew you and, and developed you developed at the brook by depending upon him. That faith now needs a refining. It needs to be put into action. It needs to be tested. And that's what happens in Zarephath is a testing and a refining of your faith in the word of God. 
And you know the story. He arose and he went to Zarephath, verse 10, and he came at the, the gate of the city. Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Remember, this is the widow that God commanded is going to feed Elijah keep him alive and she is out gathering her last meal fully expected in her mind that this is all that we've got me and my son are gonna eat this last little bit and then we're gonna die because of starvation because we have nothing else how is she supposed to support another full-grown dependent Elijah Shows up and God's like, that's a woman who's going to keep you alive for months, if not years. It doesn't seem like she got the message yet, does it? That she is preparing her last meal for her and her son. And it looks like Elijah's faith is about to be tested. Surviving off the, the bread and water down at the brook. And now it's time to refine that faith and see, are you, do you really believe? Let's put it into action here. And, and so it, it looks like Elijah's faith is about to be tested because he heard from God that this woman is going to sustain him. And yet she's confessing, this is my last meal, pal. You better go ask somebody else because we're about to eat our last meal. But the situation doesn't appear to be that, does it? That somehow she's going to sustain this man. So what is Elijah going to do? Is he going to accept the situation and say, oh, well, oh, bummer, oh, Eeyore, I'll just, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen today. This must be not the wrong, a different woman. Uh, uh, or, or are you going to say that or are you going to say, I live by the word of God and what it declares? you got two choices for every situation. Either you accept the way it looks like or you say, I'm going to accept what the word of God says. Despite what the world says, despite what my circumstance says, yeah, it doesn't look like much is happening there with that old, that, that widow and her son. But, but Elijah heard from God and he said that widow's going to feed him for a while. And so so he's either going to say, I'm going to hold on to the word of God, or I'm just going to allow this situation just to be. The same word that declared, that looked at nothing and said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and out of nothing came everything. That is a refining of your faith. When you look at the impossible, when you look at the improbable, when you look at the inconceivable, and you still say, I know what the Word of God says. I'm going to live by the Word of God. I'm an overcomer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you are in pain and when your body's afflicted, we say, now I know what the word of God says. I'm going to hold on to this. 
I'm not going to let that tell me what to do. I'm going to let this tell me what to do. And when you are in pain and your body's afflicted, do we settle for that? Do we say, oh, that's what the doctor said. There's nothing else we can do. Or are we going to live by every word of God that says, by his stripes, we are healed. I know what the doctor said, but the Bible says there's still a healing impossible. There's still a miracle that can take place. There is still deliverance that can happen. I'm not going to settle for the world's report. I'm going to live by every word of God. And the word of God says, by his stripes, we are healed. Do you believe that today? Do you believe the word of God? Don't let our situation steal your faith. No, we've got something to stand upon. This tells me where I'm going. This tells me my future. This tells me my hope and my faith in Christ Jesus. That we're not going to give up. We're not going to die out. We're not going to give in. The word of God is our test, is our faith, is our rock that we stand upon. The Bible says, and James says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray of them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Either you're going to believe that or you're going to believe that the, what the doctor says. Not that we're going to ignore the doctors. We go to them for their professional, high, expensive advice. But that's not the final advice I'm taking. I'll listen to you. That's great. And if I'll, do, I'll try to do what I can. But that's not the final word in my life. The final authority rests right here in the word of God. Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. Not some doctor. Not some politician. Not some government official. They don't have access to my faith. My faith is in the word of God. It is forever settled in heaven. And that's what I'm going to live my life by. And this is found at the brook. You get to the brook and you just say, this is all I need. You're ready to go. It doesn't matter what kind of sanctions or what kind of governments pass laws against you or against your faith or whatever. That shouldn't deter you. You say, oh, I'm just holding on to the word of God. And so what do we do? Do we live by our diagnosis or do we live by the word of God? That's what it comes down to. Every single day, are we living by the word of God or are we living by the news? Are we living by the, the hopelessness of, the, of this world or are we going to put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ that we're going to get through it and if we're not going to get through it, God's going to take us out of here. That's my two options. Either I'm getting through it with God or God's getting me out. Both of them are good for me. And so the, world, the word of God declares him to be our healer and our deliverer and our protector and our provider. And we find all of that out at the brook of Cherith where we cut off from everything of this world and say, i got to get dependent upon the word of God. And then our faith begins to be refined in Zarephath and put to the test. Musicians, if you would come. Verse 13 and Elijah said unto her, fear not. Remember, she just confessed that this is our last meal. Last meal for me and my son. 
And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Okay, you can go prepare your last meal, but make me a cake first. Bring it unto me and, and make it after thee uh, for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the curse the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Remember, at the beginning of this, she only had one meal. But she listened to the word of God, now she's eaten many days. Explain that. Explain that to the economists out there. Explain that to the doctors out there. Only that, that solution is only found in the word of God. And it's possible to anybody that believes. We got to hold on to that. And so they did eat many days. Verse 16, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And so what happened here was nothing short of a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle. And it, it wasn't just a, a one-time miracle, but it was a miracle in my opinion, that happened every single day. Every single day, a miracle happened in this woman's life. Every time she went to that jar of oil, there was still another enough, another left for another meal. There was still uh, food left. Every time she went back, even though it looked like it was at the bottom, she kept trying to pour it all out, and it kept on coming. Every single day was a miracle in this woman's life. It never ran dry. Every day there was enough to make another meal. Talk about high living. Talk about high living. She didn't have much possessions. She was still poor as ever. But this widow experienced the miraculous every single day in her life. Every single day a miracle. But then, then something happened. Then something happened. Her son got sick and died. What? What? A miracle every day and my son gets sick and dies. How can that be? How can that be? It's not, we know the food wasn't bad, I'll tell you that. He didn't get food poisoning. He was eating a miracle every day. The, the, the boy had a miracle pancake every single day. And he gets sick and dies. God, I thought that since I'm being blessed, since I experience the miraculous every day or every week, that I don't have to face these kinds of things. That I don't have to face these hardships. That it's not my child that should die. Why is it somebody else's? I'm the one who's living here by faith and living by your word and every single day. But aren't you still living in Zarephath? Aren't you still there in a refinery? Aren't you still there in that refinery? And what is a refinery for? It's for purging and purifying your faith. It's to refine and get rid of these impurities so that you can become even better. 
and stronger in God. See, the refining process takes heat and pressure and pain. But whatever went into the refinery comes out even stronger and better than what it was when it went in. So don't worry about the heat in your life. You're going to come through and be even better. Don't worry about the pain. God's going to take that and turn it around and make you even stronger. Don't worry about the pressure in your life. God's going to use that to build you, to make you a stronger man or woman of God in faith. And so what happens is we get discouraged by the heat and the pain and the pressure. We get afraid of the the refining process, and God says, no, if you just go through it, you'll be even better. Especially for our faith. Especially for our faith. And and another test of your faith, Elijah, now what are you going to do, Elijah? You done spoke a miracle for this lady, and now her son's dead. Is your faith going to be zapped and you're going to and you're going to just quit it and give up on God? No, I can't believe how this happened. Things were going so well and eating miracle pancakes every single day and then all of a sudden this lady's son dies, gets sick and dies. What are we going to do? Just quit the church. Another refining flame for you, widow. What are you going to do? You've been living off the miraculous for a while. How has that um, impacted your faith? How has the miraculous affected your faith? Has it had any effect on your faith? Elijah had to pray for the child three times. Three times. You would think this man just speak the words once and the kid rises. Three times it says he got on top of him and and, and did whatever whatever he did. Three times before Elijah's prayer was answered and he raised her, his son up. And look what the widow says, if you stand with me today. Elijah took the child, brought him down out of the chamber into the house, delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, my son liveth. The woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is true. Excuse me? You mean to tell me that you've been eating miracle pancakes every single day for weeks and months And not once did you have to go out and get more meal. Not once. And you weren't sure if Elijah was the man of God or not. Not once did you have to go and get more oil because the oil never wasted. And you still do not know that the words Elijah spoke were true. You experience a miracle every single day, and you didn't know who was there. You didn't know what was sustaining you. Or maybe you got so used to the miraculous that it didn't mean much anymore. And it took the death of your son and resurrection of him to wake you up from your spiritual apathy and complacency. 
Has a brook been so long ago that we don't depend on God anymore? That we've learned to get by some kind of hybrid system between us, the, God, well, the Word of God and this world? Is that the Word of God, is it no longer ne a necessity, but it's become an accessory? We carry around it, carry it around when we need it, and use it when we need it, but it's not a necessity, it's an accessory. Do we get a hold of the supernatural and it doesn't have a lasting impact on us? This woman had miracle every single day. Do we experience the miraculous week after week and month after month and service after service and it just becomes normal for us? Service by service and an endless supply of meal and the oil just keeps on flowing every single time, time and time again. But it took a tragic event to get the widow to wake up. And to see the reality and to say, now I know. Now I know after the death of my son, now I know you're a man of God. Excuse me? Where have you been living? What is it going to take for us? Will shutting down the entire world at the push of a button, will that cause people to turn to God? Will that cause them to wake up and turn to the Word of God and, and awaken from their spiritual slumber? If that doesn't, I don't, I'm not sure what else. Of course, there's an example of something else happened, but God forbid. We say we want revival, and I knew, know that we do. But the revival that Elijah witnessed was on Mount Carmel, where the fire of God did fall and a nation did turn to God but to get to Carmel you first you got to go by the brook you first you got to go and bear the brook and say God I got to get everything out of my life if I want to go see revival and the fire fall in my life I've got to this has got to be the only thing in my life that sustains me I've got to experience the cutting from this world and the separation from the things that I think are sustaining me. And really, it's the Word of God. It's really that's sustaining me. And then your faith has to go to Zarephath and endure a refining process. Because it's after Zarephath does Elijah now say, meet me on Mount Carmel. Meet me on Mount Carmel. Those whole three and a half years of the drought, the Bible tells us Elijah was only in two places, the brook and in Zarephath. Three and a half years he was there, those two places. You can argue how long he was at which place. It doesn't matter. Those are the two places he was before he went to Carmel. And if we want Carmel... Those are the two places we got to go. It's after Zarephath, does Elijah now say, meet me out Mount Carmel. And that's where God is leading us this year. That's where God's leading you this year. He doesn't want you to sit and settle where you're at. He wants to pull you up higher. 
He wants you to see the miraculous fall in your life. He wants the fire of God to come down in your life and like never before. But to get up there, you've got to go through the process. You've got to bear the brook. And you've got to go to Zarephath. Of course, I'm inviting you to Mount Carmel. But before I can invite you to there, I have to first invite you to bear the brook. I have to invite you to live in Zarephath, to put your faith to the test and endure that process before you go to Carmel. So I open up these altars today to anyone who is willing Anyone who is willing to step out and say, God, I need you to work in me. God, I want to see your glory come down. God, I need to experience a cutting. I need to go to the brook. Lead me to the brook of Cherith. Is there anyone that will come and submit to the word of God today? Will you respond to the call to say, come on. I've got greater things for you. But you've got to go through a purging process first. Come on, let's cry out to God. God, search us today. Don't let the miraculous become normal to us. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, now's a good time. Come on, people of God. prepare ourselves to get there. Hallelujah, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for forsaking you. Forgive me for being unfaithful, God. Help restore me, God. Restore my commitment. My consecration to you, Lord. Let's cry out to him. Let's cry out to him. It's a process God's working in us. We're going to come out better. God, cut away all the stuff that I don't need.
Jesus 
today. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's exalt him, Jesus. Lord, you are all that we need, God. Help us, God, to get to that place. We're totally dependent upon you, God. Hallelujah. Strengthen us, God. Encourage us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I know we like the messages that we are encouraged and we're ready to tear down the walls, gates of hell. That comes in due time. But this is the process that gets us there. We can't just run there and without without seeking the word of God and without following by it. I mean, we'll get, well, it'll be a painful process. But if we endure and we trust in the word of God, he's going to get us through. God's not going to forsake us and let the, the church just get wiped off the map by the devil. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. No matter what happens, the word of God is tested and stands true. We need to learn to live on this. Our appetite needs to be for this. And for prayer, for righteousness. There's so many things to eat of of the world out there. Delicacies and all those stuff. The word of God is not always pleasant, but it's truth. And it's what we need to hear. To help cut away those things that we thought were sustaining us. It's the word of God that's going to get us. Man, and I know it says there's going to be great things, a mighty outpouring, and that's coming. We're on our way there, aren't we? Man, we got to stay, stay the course, not give up, endure the refining process, and we're going to see great things happen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name.